Okay, well, welcome, dear listeners, to the Jacobs podcast. Uh, today we've got Luke Ingwerson, who, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, is a lifeguard on, on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. Luke, welcome to the Jacobs podcast. Thank you, Sean. Very glad to be here. This is exciting. Definitely. Um, so it's winter now, but, um, you know, obviously during summer it gets a lot busier. Talk us through, like, what's a busy day for you, your, your, your busy, busy day at the peak of summer? Yeah, this is a beautiful time of year on the Gold Coast. The winds are normally light. The swell's pretty light. It's a good time for the southern, the southern uh, states to yep. come up and enjoy our, our warmer waters and weather. Mm. The water's 20, 20, 21 degrees at the moment. It's pretty nice. Yep. As we get closer to summer, obviously every weekend gets a lot busier, but during the week gets a bit busier as well. Even when the kids go on school holidays in uh, at the start of December... Yep. It gets a little bit busier, but from Christmas Day onwards, it gets hectic on the beach, yeah. and it always coincides with bad surf conditions. For some reason, we get our easterly swells and our easterly winds right around Christmas time, and an easterly swell and an easterly wind bring in, obviously, large surf, but also really strong, dangerous rips. So it's really unfair for us that... So easterly swell, that's coming it come, shore? Uh, no, it comes straight onto the shore. Yep. So the wind and the swell coming straight in, yep. it makes the rips pull straight out. Uh, okay. and, and it's unfair that yeah. we get our worst conditions with our busiest times. Yeah, yeah. So from Christmas Day for the next uh, four to five weeks, every day is busy. You expect to be doing rescues. As soon as you wake up in the morning, you have a look at the beach you see a swell running, you know the rips are there, the, the, the weather's nice and the, uh, the people are going to come down the beach. You expect a busy day from the moment you get there till the mo- moment you leave. Yeah. Um, it sounds negative, but you're actually praying for a rainy day yeah. in summer you know, sometimes to give us a, a break. A bit of a break. Yeah, because that's interesting. Like, I never actually realised that the, it's, you know, your worst conditions on your busiest days and especially over summer, something I never really even thought about. But so, like, number of rescues, like, on a busy day, uh, what's sort of the peak that you have hit or most other lifeguards hit? I, uh, my beach isn't as busy as some of the beaches. A beach like Surface Paradise or Burley or Main Beach, they could easily do 40 or 50 rescues in bad conditions on, on a busy day. Um, my beach, yeah, 10 rescues would be a hell of a lot. And when you're getting a lot of rescues, you've actually got to d- decide whether you should keep the beach open or whether you should close the beach. Sure. Both have positives and negatives. Mm. It'd be easy for us to close the beach and say, hey, no one's going to swim. Mm. It makes our job really easy. Yep. But if it's 30 degrees and people are driving down from Logan, from Brisbane, from yep. all over the place, they're coming to the beach, they're swimming no matter what. Sure, yeah. If you don't have the flags in, and it's not illegal to, to swim at any time, you're not going to stop people from going everywhere. Yeah. So then you'll have rescues all up and down the beach. Yeah. At least if we have red and yellow flags up, we're keeping swimmers in the one area yeah, altogether. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, if it's not safe, it, it just makes it a really a really tough day. Yeah, sure. And you also work. So you're a lifeguard, and that's a key distinction to make. And I didn't appreciate it until I got to know you a few years ago but um, lifeguards you're, you're a lifeguard so you're employed full-time by the council and it's your full-time job and you've been doing it for years and, and years as a profession but you're supplemented sometimes in the busier beaches is that right by uh, lifesavers is that correct yes council lifeguards work every single day of the year mm. um, on the Gold Coast there's about 40 permanent lifeguards there's about 60 relief 
mm-hmm. uh, lifeguards, and then about another fifty that come in through the summer busy summer period as well. Mm. Um, the permanents work a forty-two hour week. It's our, our five-day-a-week job, like any other job. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky enough to work on my same beach for twelve years. Yeah, so that's unheard of, right? <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You just you s- simply do the math there. Yeah. Uh, Nine hours a day, five days a week for twelve years. Uh, I know every grain of sand on that on that beach. Yeah. Uh, lifeguard. There are some beaches that are only ever patrolled by lifeguards. In the uh, between September and and April, on the weekends, wherever there's a surf club, the volunteer lifesavers come in and uh, and patrol on the weekends. They do a five hour shift, a morning shift, and then an afternoon shift. There's about between ten and and sixteen lifesavers, volunteer lifesavers, yep. on each patrol. They could range from sixteen year olds to to you know seasoned lifesavers. Um, they do a great job, and, and it's great that they volunteer their time. Yeah. They work those beaches, and the lifeguards work other beaches on the weekend. Mm. But then, all during the week, it's the professional lifeguards. Yeah, cool. So it seems like there's a lot of people um, sort of sort of split between permanent and relief. There's obviously a lot of people, um, I guess, sort of waiting in the wings for those permanent full time roles. Uh, one of the things that I know a lot of people have started have began appreciating lifeguards or the role of your profession a lot more is Bondi Rescue. And um, so can you just talk a bit about that and sort of, um, I think, you know, uh, a lot of people will just look and think those are the only guys who work uh, in New South Wales across the entire state, but they're all focused on Bondi. But there's a whole group of uh, of our lifeguards across the state, but a lot of the focus seems to be on them and a lot of the work they do. But yeah, could you just talk a bit about that? Yeah, that's a that's an easy one and, and plenty of information there. Yeah. When I was a casual, we, we used to have the joke that you know, yeah, someone had to die or, or something to, mm. to to leave a permanent job. Yeah. It's still the case. It's it's highly sought after a, a permanent position with the council, yeah. and there are plenty of casual guys wanting that that permanent work. Mm. They can work year round, but the security of a permanent job with the council is is really good. Mm. Bondi Rescue is is a really good show. It, it rates well, but it also um, raises the profile of, of what lifeguards do and also the, the importance of, of the job. Everyone loves coming to the beach, but quite often we leave our brain at home when when it's so beautiful there and um, we think, well, someone's got this, you know, someone will, I don't need to take responsibility for my kids or my lack of swimming ability, someone will help me. And the show really highlights when things go wrong, how, how terribly wrong they can be. There's nothing different about that show, you know, what happens on that Bondi beach than what happens on the Gold Coast or, or every other beach. Yeah. The thing with Bondi is it's it's really magnified with so many people yeah. in such a small area. Um, is that the busiest beach in Australia, like hands down, or would it be would Surfers Paradise be up there too? Yeah, it'd be really hard to compare. Yeah, sure. um, yeah. I, I think you look at that show and you're like, holy. Wow, that's a, that's really busy. Service paradise on a busy day, it, it has different um, different factors that come into play. It's it's an open beach. It's you know twenty five kilometres long. Yeah. The rips are a hell of a lot stronger at Service Paradise because oh, okay. there's no headland on either side. Yeah. The ones at at uh, at uh, Bondi, yeah, people are in a rip, but they probably only go you know, twenty metres out to sea. A, a bad rip at Service Paradise, people get pulled two hundred metres out to sea. Mm. 
um, not saying Bondi is any less dangerous. As, sure. as soon as there's water and people who aren't staying above it, yeah. we've got a problem. Yeah. We, um, a bunch of Gold Coast lifeguards uh, have been lucky enough to spend some time with the Bondi guys yeah. every year. There's a, there's a professional lifeguard uh, conference yeah. called APOLA, the Australian Professional Ocean Lifeguard Association. And uh, we meet at, at a different place every year and um, talk about the job and, you know, work through problems that we've got and try and help each other out. And uh, th those Bondo guys are incredible guys. They're, they're great role models for, for the young kids and, and they represent our organisation really well. It is a problem that I'm aware of in their organisation. There's probably five or six of them that are absolute superstars yeah they're on tv on channel 10 you know every other night they go to the logies they're, they're endorsing products and you know they're real yeah. they're real celebrities that they, they can you know license to print money that they yeah, yeah. they've got such a good product yeah. whereas there's more than just six lifeguards that work for that that shire yeah you know, bondi has i'm pretty sure it's four beaches yeah in their area they've probably got 40 lifeguards so there would be a problem with the lifeguards on the next beach yeah. who have the same training and get paid the same and and do the same job yeah, yeah. but there's no cameras following them around yeah, yeah. so uh, i really don't know how hoppo and the boys would you know, have, have dealt with that but uh you know some people want the limelight and, and the camera work some people just want to do the job that they've been trained for yeah. um i know it's something they would have had to have dealt dealt with and it's not something that they would have expected sure, yeah, uh, that yeah. they said oh we want to film you guys doing your job hey that's easy we do our job every day yeah. but then to deal with the uh public scrutiny and the limelight sure. and the um and yeah. the fame yeah, yeah, that'd yeah. be something you can't train for yeah definitely look and i think that's it's interesting actually just thinking about this now but how um, you know, a lot of other shows like Cops, for example, or, you know, where they've got first responders. It's almost, it's very interesting because lifeguarding the Bondi Rescue show seems to have built a, more of a cult concentration of following around those uh, five, six guys versus, you know, like I mentioned, shows like Ambulance or Cops or anything like that. So it's definitely something interesting there about lifeguarding and the beach and, um, you know, Australia as a tourism sort of icon and, and that kind of thing. Um, you mentioned that uh, people... Uh, tend to leave their brain at home sometimes. Um, what's the biggest mistake that you see? Um, I know you've seen people rock up in, or swim in jeans and stuff like that through to, I mean, maybe swimming nothing or nothing at all, who knows? But yeah, what's the biggest mistake you see? I think straight away people come on holidays and uh, they arrive to the Gold Coast, they check into the hotel and they're straight down the beach without, without a thought at all about... Yeah. The security of their belongings on the beach having the right outfit having sun cream having glasses hats things like that the sunburn yeah. and the surf conditions knowing nothing about it and jumping straight in and uh throwing caution of the wind because it's so beautiful and they want to touch that you know that really nice water yeah. i relate it to the the, the poor people uh the, well the, the guys with the job as a ski patrol on a uh, on a mountain uh, obviously the flip of, of us it's in winter time but people go hey let's go skiing hey there's this double black diamond run that sounds fun all the heroes are doing this and the ski patrol's got to get up that mountain to to pick up these people with the broken limbs and everything yeah yeah same as on the beach sure. you, you don't give it the, the right respect or yeah i swam when i was at school i could swim you know across the, the length of the pool suddenly you're in the ocean with you know a million liters of water moving every every tide yeah um 
you, you might be able to kid yourself or think that you're something you're not, but the ocean will decide whether you're strong enough to be out there. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting when I when I was a lifeguard in America um, about 15 years ago, the guys actually compiled all the all the information and, and found the um, the riskiest time of not just the week but of, of the day of the week for us to do rescues. Mm. It was considered changeover day every Saturday where, um, you know, if you rented an apartment or, or a unit for a, for a week, Saturday was changeover day. That's You'd check out at 10 a.m. Yeah. The new people would move in at 2 p.m. Yeah. So the new people would move in, they'd get their white towels, as, as we see from all the hotels, yeah. white towel over the shoulder, straight down the beach, 2.30, 2.40, into a rip in trouble so saturday at 240 was the riskiest time of the day also it's the busiest time of the day because there's a lot of people around and obviously later in the day um there's fatigue for the lifeguards as well so it's good to have all the information you can to try and um prepare yourself and go all right we're hitting one o'clock Let's get ready for what could happen when there's an influx of, of yeah. new customers. Yeah, sure. Look, that's super interesting, especially looking at that data and, and um, being able to sort of pinpoint where you need to focus your efforts. But I think it's just tragic too about um, people violating hotel policy and using towels from, the, um, <laughs> from their rooms on the beach too. That's horrific to think about too. Hotels are listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously people love to talk about rips. Um, I've been with you a few times on the beach and where people have come down and they will, um, you know, most people want to hear what your thoughts on the rips are or like how they work, how to avoid them, what's actually happening with the water. But then sometimes people tell you how it's working <laughs> and <laughs> are full of advice too and, and good gear, good tips. Um, but sure. just in terms of someone who wouldn't use, wouldn't see this, the, the water a lot, um, what, what are your sort of basic um, reads there or like basic tips there on how to read a rip and how to actually approach it? If you're ever caught in one, what can you see by looking at the water before you get in? Just that basic sort of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I find it f- funny when people come up and <laughs> and tell me about the beach that I'm, I'm working at, I've spent so much time at, but yeah. I've only been doing this job 23 years. I still have a lot to learn. Mm. Um, that's not being funny. It's, mm. uh, I know a hell of a lot. Yeah. But I've always got a lot to learn. It is at a glance when someone says, oh, how do you identify a rip? When you break that down, you think, hey, this is good. This person wants to learn about a rip. Um, that you know They're doing this for their own safety. But then when you stand back and have a look at it, it is a bit worrying that, well, you kind of don't need to know where a rip is because you just need to know where the red and yellow flags are. I know where the rips are. So if the red and yellow flags are not in a rip, Mm. we're all good. Mm. So at a glance, to me, that says, I'm planning on coming swimming when there's no red and yellow flags or I'm going to be on a beach where there's there's no flags. Um, You know, where's the safest place for me to to swim? Which is a real worry. Um, You know, all through the summer you see... All these tragedies on the news, the back beaches of New South Wales, unpatrolled beaches, people not near the flags. A, a small child gets caught in a rip. Mum and dad and the uncle go in to save him. The young child washes back onto a sandbank and survives and the rest of the family dies. 
always on unpatrolled beaches. If, if you're on a beach without lifeguards or lifesavers and something does go wrong, there's no one to help you. Sure. So it is a worry to, to when people say, hey, can you point out a rip? And it's not a straightforward question. Yeah, yeah. It's not... You know, there, there's about 10 or 15 different factors that mm. a trained eye can spot. Yeah. There could be sand and debris in the water getting pulled out to sea. Yeah. Um, the waves could be uh, moving slightly different. There's going to be a different colour because yeah. the shallower the sand is, the clearer it is. Right. As you look out to sea, the the deeper the water, yeah. the, the darker blue it is. Yeah. So you can see at a glance, mm. well, if it's shallow, mm. there's a sandbank. Yeah. If it's dark blue, it's deep. Yeah. So a deep hole is a rip. That's the water moving back out to sea. Yeah. But not one single one of those factors can identify a rip. Yeah. And same as getting out of a rip. Yeah. Uh, some people say, oh, you should swim parallel to, to shore and you'll get out of the rip. Yeah. And thrash as hard as you can. And thrash as hard as you can. <laughs> and, and when you finish with freestyle, you've got no energy. <laughs> Go to breaststroke yeah, and then yeah. backstroke and then, just, and then just try and survive. <laughs> But if we've got rips that are pulling from 200 metres either side, north and south, yeah. they pull sideways into a rip before they go out to sea. Oh, yeah. So if you say, well, swim parallel to shore, well, you're going to be swimming against that rip anyway. Mm. Some other thoughts are, hey, just, just relax and let, uh, let that water pull you out to sea. Mm. Maybe in Bondi, if you're good at treading water, it's going to pull you out 15 metres and then you, know, you can swim across and get back to shore <clears throat> i've actually seen rips on the gold coast here and you can see the sand in the water pulling out to the shark nets yeah. and they're 400 meters offshore yeah, yeah. so uh, you know wow. i don't think that's Huge. that's the answer either people never plan on getting you know, they never plan on getting caught in a rip but they don't set themselves up beforehand yeah. when you go into the to the beach into the ocean you should line yourself up with a tree or a building or, or something and always look back. But when people go into the ocean, they're obviously looking out to sea, looking at the waves that are, that are coming, that, you know, what's going to face them, what exciting challenges are going to face them. Mm. It's not till they turn around, maybe when they're a bit tired, mm. and start heading back to shore that, uh, well, they realise, hey, I, I want to get back to shore here. Yeah. So... If the current's pulling you out a little bit and you're in a rip, you might not even realise that you're in it. You just think, oh, there's a bit of a current here. Yeah. So you'll swim against it because you're trying to get back into shore. That's your desired place. Yeah. If, if you're not such a strong swimmer or you've been doing it for a while, you'll swim until you're too tired. Mm. That's when freestyle stops and you go, okay, what else can we do? Breaststroke is a natural yeah. de-evolution of, yeah. of swimming. Yeah. You go to breaststroke. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, geez, I better go to side stroke. Mm. And you're actually just wearing yourself out and sometimes moving backwards. Yeah, yeah. So you spot it and uh, the whole time you're moving further out to sea in the deeper water yeah. and, and the way drowning works is, you know, the rip, there's no such thing as an undertow. There isn't a, a force in the water that sucks you under like an octopus grabbing your ankles mm. and pulling yeah, under. Yeah. It's just pulling you out to sea. It's mm. not pulling you under. It's just mm. pulling you out. Mm. It's the body getting too tired to stay on top of the water yeah. that you end up um, then getting getting panicked and, and losing all your form and all your stroke. Mm. And the same thing would happen in a, in a swimming pool with no current. You would end up just mm. not being able to tread water yeah. and, and then you're panicking yeah. and it's going downhill. Sure. Um, as a lifeguard, you spot that very early. 
flash rips occur every day, all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And a, a really important tool that lifeguards have is the binoculars. Mm -hmm. We look at the water around swimmers. We look at the sand or discoloration when there's a rip pulling out. Mm -hmm. We gauge by that how strong the water's pulling out. Mm -hmm. And then we zoom in and we look at the swimmer's facial expressions. Mm -hmm. If there's two, you know, fit young guys having a laugh and, you know, hey, we got this, we're all right, yeah, yeah. there's a chance that they're going to be okay. Sure. When it's an, an older man or a young kid mm. and a look of terrors on their face, yep. like, oh, geez, I don't have this, mm. me. then we yeah. realise yeah. we need to act quite quickly. Yep. Um, and that's something that you can't teach someone in a, in a weekend course. You, yep. you can't just go, oh, you're looking for this, looking for that. Years and years of experience looking at the water and looking at people yeah. is is the only way for real safety. Yeah, sure. And look, that's a, a really good point because I know I've been with you on one occasion in particular where I just sort of um, just sort of daringly asked if um, if um, you'd had any rescues that day, and then I think you were sort of almost facing away from the beach and not directly towards me. And then I think literally you just spun around and out of the corner of your eye you saw something and you're like oh drop your stuff and then went straight out and you know I you knew exactly what was going on that's because you knew exactly what was going on on the beach just behind you and um, that awareness I think is just something that I'm always impressed with when I see you operate is you can tell me how slow the guy's watch is um, you know 20 meters out and he uh, versus you know how much milk he's got in the fridge and you know what are they yeah all but the how many people what they're wearing yeah, yeah all the important stuff um, but we'll yeah, yeah, like anyone who does a job all the time, the person who makes the coffee and knows exactly how you like it every day, yep. the border security officer, out of a thousand people, they know which person's bag to search mm -hmm. and they get it right most of the time. Good, well-trained lifeguards and lifesavers aren't looking at swimmers when they put their hand up for trouble. Mm -hmm. It's happened 20 minutes before that. Yeah. When you're on the beach and someone walks past you to enter the water, yeah. knowingly or, or un unknowingly, a, a trained, well-trained lifeguard, a lifesaver, will already have made up in their mind how this person goes. Yeah. Judging by the, their fitness, yeah. their you know their tan, their clothes are wear, the, they're wearing, yeah, yeah. Um, you know even eth ethnicity. Yeah. It's um, yeah. it's not a rude thing to say. Uh, some. So, some people from different countries and different places swim yep. very well. Yep. If we were down the beach today and we saw uh, a 30-year-old, uh, well-tanned Australian-looking guy with surfing board shorts... Yeah, or Speedos, that's probably a... Or, no, or yeah, Speedos. Yeah, 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 you're like, this guy's real You big. go, yeah. this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. You, you, you come down late afternoon and you see a, yep. an Asian tourist with a white towel on his shoulder mm. who shows he's from a hotel. Yep. He might have never ever seen the the beach before he yep. might be from a country where swimming lessons aren't mandatory at school yep. he he might you know mm. he honestly might have trouble swimming in a bathtub mm. so yep. you've got to make your, your mind up right then okay out of all these people in the water this guy if he gets into trouble mm. i don't have three minutes to get him mm. i've only got one minute yep. because they might not have the fight yeah so um yeah. It's knowing the, the client as well as the water. Yeah, sure. And actually on that, you know, you mentioned before about picking a landmark spot and uh, sort of work if it's your hotel, if it's a tree or, um, you know, a leaf on a tree, get that specific. But um, 
you know, uh, so for example, people picking their hotel and tourists, and I know you've had a few times too, where a lot of tourists have come down and they wouldn't know which actual building to pick because they're, you know, like you say, straight off the bus overnight. Well, anyway, you, you can explain it, Luke, but it's just super interesting. Yeah, yeah you mentioned at the start that to be a, a professional lifeguard, you're not only watching people in the water, but you're a tourist guide, you're an information uh, <laughs> consultant, you're, you know, you've got to know all the areas. A problem we get sometimes is the uh, the tourists arrive from overseas countries, they fly into Brisbane Airport, get ushered straight onto a coach, you know, 30, 40, 50 of them all in a coach, it drives you know, down the M1 at night time, puts them to their hotel. First thing in the morning, they wake up and open the curtains and say, geez, look how beautiful that is, the sun's up, let, let's go. Grab their hotel room key and walk straight down the street looking at the beach the whole way, go for a 15 minute walk, then turn around and when it's time to head to home, they look at Service Paradise Beach and there's 65 buildings that pretty much all look the same. And they, because they stepped out of it, they've got no idea which building's theirs. Yeah, yeah. And with limited English and, uh, and a hotel room key that doesn't have the name of the building on, mm. it, it makes it really hard to, to try and yeah. show people where they're from. Yeah. So uh, again, it's not knowing your surroundings, kind of leaving your brain in, in the suitcase in the hotel room and just and just be in awe of how beautiful it is here. Yeah. Um, those combinations make it hard. Yeah. Have you had to work like Have you had to work out sometimes like where key hotels are and all that sort of thing, and like so you can get an idea yeah. of where people De- might be? Definitely. It, it's it, again for for the lifeguards. It, it's knowing the area that you work in. You've got to know all the main buildings, yeah. all the main streets, the coffee shops, the restaurants, yeah. and if. I mean, obviously, I work in Main Beach. I know all the hotels in Main Beach. Yep. But if someone comes up and asks me one in Broad Beach, that mm. I think I'd know 70 or 80% of them. But if it's a, a not well-known one, yep. I'd get on the two-way radio and ask the lifeguard in that area, hey, mm. do, do you know the exact street of, uh, of this hotel? Mm. And uh, they should have the answer there because yep. uh, we want to get everyone home. Sure. And then just with that demographics thing about tourism and tourists, have you seen – how long have you been lifeguarding now for, Lukey? 22 years, yep. uh, ten, cool. 10 years as a casual and uh, 12 years as a permanent. Awesome. So in that time then you would have seen a few changes, but have you, what about the demographic of people coming? Like what are your big observations? Because I think there's a lot there just for people visiting Queensland, but then in particular what's one of the you know premier tourist uh, destinations in the country? Yeah, good question, Sean. Um, then in, in the end of the 90s, Obviously, the Japanese economy is really good. We had a lot of Japanese tourists mm-hmm. hitting the Gold Coast. Um, they were great, very polite, uh, usually poor swimmers, mm. but polite. They'd, they'd heed our warnings, they'd, they'd listen to us. We did a lot of rescues. Mm. Um, then the Japanese economy uh, you know, turned down a little bit. We didn't get so many Japanese tourists, but the Korean and the Chinese market really uh, exploded. Mm. We get a lot of... Uh, those tourists coming through uh, up until you know the current yeah. day their culture is very different to the Japanese culture okay. yeah. um, the way I understand it anyone working mm. when they're on holiday is beneath them mm. so they don't see that they need to listen to anyone working when they're on holiday because they're they're beneath them it's like okay. you're a worker please don't annoy me I'm here on holidays okay. so even if you go to try and help them um, sometimes they're really not interested so you've got their best 
uh, you know, the best intentions for them, mm. but they're not really interested. They just want to do what they want and they don't want to be told. Mm. So that creates a little bit of trouble. The, lang- the language barrier, but also just their thought on anyone working. Yeah. Uh, we're not trying to sell them a sarong on Bali Beach yeah. or offer them a pina colada. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to keep them alive. Sure. We're yeah. trying to give them a good experience on the beach. Yeah. But all that's out the window if there isn't safety it's the safety that is our number one job so sometimes we have to be more forceful with the people who don't know or don't care for their own safety yeah yeah with the australian tourists uh, i think it's a good thing that a few years ago when the economy turned a little bit bad a lot of australian tourists opposed to going overseas on holidays they kept their money inside australia Mm. um so you know the thing with the beach is no matter what the economy's doing mm. it costs nothing to be here yeah. you can drive from just about wherever mm. parking's free for for most of the most of the places yeah. um you need a towel a pair of, pair of swimmers and, and yeah. you're set to go yeah. so no matter what the economy's doing there's always going to be a yeah. popular place on the sure. beach for people yeah. in the winter time we get a lot of people from new south wales melbourne yeah. Um, Adelaide, even down as far as Tasmania, because the weather's so much nicer up here. Yeah. You know, locals here will complain, oh, it's only 20 degrees in the water today, we're not going in. Yeah. And then one minute later, someone will come up from Melbourne and go, oh my goodness, 20 degrees? Yeah. It doesn't get that hot in summertime where we're from. Yeah, yeah. Well. Um, as I said earlier, uh, beach conditions are often so much better in winter, yeah. but for some reason, there's more medical cases in in winter time yeah. um where the people i don't know let their guard down or they're they're, yeah, yeah. they're just oh, i'm really not sure but yeah. we have more medi- medical cases uh in the winter time yeah. but uh as i said the beach is always there and always beautiful it'll always attract people yeah. the, there's always a problem with council people see a lot of money in the beach mm. this is a gold mine people mm. always want to um come up with ideas to uh, sell umbrellas and have uh, you know, drinks for sale and, and yep. surfboards and, and you know hassle people with everything. The City of Gold Coast Council has done very well to allow no concessions or, or minimal concessions on the beach because I'm not sure if you've been to Thailand or Bali where they're selling you everything that you don't want. Mm. You don't want the hassle mm. and these people just want to make money. But we just want people to enjoy it for the simple beach, water, enjoyable day without all that hassle. So uh, they've fought really hard to to keep the Gold Coast as simple as it can. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And that's something I did see when I worked um, for Brisbane City Council and the Lord Mayor's office is just uh, being steadfast on that open space so people can actually enjoy it. And you get a lot, a lot of interest from, you know, commercial, local commercial providers and and so forth to to um, to activate those spaces, but it's good being um, steadfast on them. Um, just sort of wrapping up shortly, Luke. You did mention um, shark nets, and that's always a big thing. Um, but you know, you look, for example, and New South Wales doesn't deploy them at all. Is that right? Or there's some beaches there that. But and look, I think it's an interesting one because. Um, you know, one of the key observations I've made is that, you know, you look at the data or people make and it's, you know, shark nets are 
Um, you know, they do work if you look at attacks and things like that. But maybe not commenting on that, but just do a lot of people, I imagine, if it's not rips, it's sharks, and people are terrified of sharks. Right. And, and I do think that, you know, I always try and make the distinction that we're a bit further north here, so we're probably not going to see too many white pointers that you'd see around in WA. But, um, yeah, just maybe bring home that it's, you shouldn't be uh, terrified of sharks. Sure. <laughs> As a council lifeguard, I don't have an opinion on yeah. the actual deployment of the shark nets. Sure. I do have the information about them. Mm. They are set up on all major beaches. They only stretch for about between one and 200 metres, and then there's about one kilometre without any net. So it is a small area, and almost every second one is a net, and then the opposite one is a baited drum line. Mm. The baited drum line is a hook with a fish on it. It won't attract sharks. It's not litres and litres of blood which will attract sharks, but if there's a shark in the area, it might bite that fish and get hooked. Same as the net. It won't stop everything from happening, but if there's a shark in the area, area it might get caught. Um, the, yeah, the, the raw intel, mm. we've got shark nets and drum lines on the Gold Coast, mm. and we haven't had a fatality in... A, lo a lot of years mm. as a lifeguard I, I pray it, it doesn't happen it would be a, a, a terrible day mm. working to save someone after a shark attack mm. be looking in New South Wales and um, and they have a real problem yeah. same as WA with the yeah. uh, with yeah. the shark attacks big bad great white sharks mm. it's horrible um, I don't have the answers for that um, Department of Fisheries you do a great job yeah. and, and they check those nets every day mm -hmm. At this time of year, we've got the whales heading north mm -hmm. uh, for their migration. Mm. Uh, there's obviously old whales moving and young whales mm. moving. Sharks aren't always like hunting, looking, yeah, yeah. trying to you know, pick things off. But when, they, uh, when an old whale dies, mm. it's, uh, it's nature that the sharks will feed, for, feed on it. Uh -huh. So this time of year, there's going to be more sharks in the area. Mm -hmm. That being said... Right now, there's no surf and the water's really clear. There aren't hundreds of sharks sitting just off the beach. And believe me, I'm looking all day, every day, and I'm a real scaredy cat with sharks. I, I don't like a barking dog. I don't want a, a biting <laughs> shark. So if I saw that there was a real risk, I wouldn't go paddling you know, two kilometres out to sea as I do, or I wouldn't swim every day. The Gold Coast is a really safe, safe place. The shark nets do a great job. And uh, the sharks aren't a problem. Mm. It's not saying it's not impossible that something will happen. But yep. if it's in your head, mm. then don't bother swimming. Mm. Go to a pool where you're safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to have it out of your head and just statistically know you're in a pretty good shot. If you went swimming 3K out to sea, mm. there's more of a risk that something could happen to you. Mm. But if you're swimming in the flags with the lifeguards, you're in a pretty good spot. Sure. Well, Luke, that's been um, tremendous. Um, Look, there's some really good things there. And just before we close out, you're really good at what you do, and I hope you keep it up for another couple of decades. So, uh, Luke Ingwerson, thanks very much for joining me on the Jacobs podcast. It's been a great discussion. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Sean. That was good. So thank you very much, listeners. That wraps up my discussion with Luke Ingwerson, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. As a bit of a breath of fresh air and some welcome change. As I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, please, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify, please rate and leave a review. Uh, and then also please get in touch with me at seanjacobs.com.au if you have any ideas for future episodes. And I'm getting some interest on that front, so I really appreciate 
uh, listeners who are getting in touch and also rating and leaving reviews. Thank you very much, listeners, and until next time.